Section 2 of Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 3. Street Scenes. Here's Broadway, said Jerry suddenly. They emerged from the side street on which they had been walking, and turning the corner, found themselves in the giant thoroughfare, a block or two above Trinity Church. Ben surveyed the busy scenes that opened before him with eager interest of a country boy who saw them for the first time. What church is that? he asked, pointing to the tall spire of the imposing church that faces Wall Street. That's Trinity Church. Do you go to church there? I don't go anywhere else, said Jerry equivocally. What's the use of going to church? I thought everybody went to church, said Ben, speaking from his experience in a country village. That is, most everybody, he corrected himself, as several persons occurred to his mind who were more punctual in their attendance at the liquor saloon than the church. If I'd got good clothes like you have, I'd go once just to see what it's like, but I'd a good sight rather go to the old Bowery Theater. But you ought not to say that, said Ben, a little startled. Why not? Because it's better to go to church than to the theater. Is it, said Jerry. Well, you can go if you want to. I'd give more for a stunning old play at the Bowery than fifty churches. Ben began to suspect that Jerry was rather loose in his ideas on the subject of religion, but did not think it best to say so, for fear of giving offense, though in all probability Jerry's sensitiveness would not have been at all disturbed by such a charge. During the last portion of the conversation they had been standing still at the street corner. I'm going to Nassau Street, said Jerry. If you want to go up Broadway, that's the way. Without waiting for an answer, he darted across the street, threading his way among the numerous vehicles with a coolness and a success which amazed Ben, who momentarily expected to see him run over. He drew a long breath when he saw him safe on the other side and bethought himself that he would not like to take a similar risk. He felt sorry to have Jerry leave him so abruptly. The boot black had already imparted to him considerable information about New York, which he saw was likely to be of benefit to him. Besides, he felt that any society was better than solitude, and a sudden feeling of loneliness overpowered him, as he felt that among the crowd of persons that jostled him as he stood at the corner, there was not one who felt an interest in him, or even knew his name. It was very different in his native village, where he knew everybody, and everybody had a friendly word for him. The thought did occur to him for a moment whether he had been wise in running away from home. But the thought of the unjust punishment came with it, and his expression became firmer and more resolute. I won't go home if I starve, he said proudly to himself, and armed with this new resolution, he proceeded up Broadway. His attention was soon drawn to the street merchants doing business on the sidewalk. Here was a vendor of neckties displaying a varied assortment of different colors for only 25 cents each. Next came a candy merchant with his stock and trade, divided up into irregular lumps and labeled a penny apiece. They looked rather tempting, and Ben would have purchased, but he knew very well that his cash capital amounted to only 25 cents, which, considering that he was as yet without an income, was likely to be wanted for other purposes. Next came a man with an assortment of knives, all of them open and sticking into a large board, which was the only shop required by their proprietor. Ben stopped a moment to look at them. He had always had a fancy for knives, but was now without one. In fact, he had sold a handsome knife, which he had received as a birthday present, for 75 cents to raise money for his present expedition. Of this sum, but 25 cents remained. Will you buy a knife today, young gentleman? asked the vendor, who was on the alert for customers. No, I guess not, said Ben. 
Here's a very nice one for only $1, said the street merchant, taking up a showy-looking knife with three blades. It's the best of steel warranted. You won't get another such knife for the price in the city. It did look cheap, certainly. Ben could not but allow that. He would like to have owned it, but circumstances forbade. No, I won't buy today, he said. Here, you shall have it for 94 cents, and the vendor began to roll it up in a piece of paper. You can't say it isn't cheap. Yes, it's cheap enough, said Ben, moving away, but I haven't got the money with me. This settled the matter, and the dealer reluctantly unrolled it and replaced it among his stock. If you'll call around tomorrow, I'll save it for you till then, he said. All right, said Ben. I wonder, he thought, whether he would be so anxious to sell if he knew that I had run away from home and had but 25 cents in the world. Ben's neat dress deceived the man, who naturally supposed him to belong to a city family well-to-do. Our young hero walked on till he came to the Astor House. He stood on the steps a few minutes, taking a view of what may be considered the liveliest and most animated part of New York. Nearly opposite was Barnum's American Museum, the site being now occupied by the costly and elegant Herald Building and Park Bank. He looked across to the lower end of City Hall Park, not yet diverted from its original purpose for the new post office building. He saw a procession of horse cars in constant motion up and down Park Row. Everything seemed lively and animated, and again the thought came to Ben, if there is employment for all these people, there must be something for me to do. He crossed to the foot of the park and walked up on the Park Row side. Here again he saw a line of street merchants. Most conspicuous were the dealers in penny ballads, whose wares lined the railings and were various enough to suit every taste. There was an old woman who might have gained a first prize for ugliness, presiding over an apple stand. Take one, honey. It's only two cents, she said, observing that Ben's attention was drawn to a rosy-cheeked apple. Ben was rather hungry, and reflecting that probably apples were as cheap as any other article of diet, he responded to the appeal by purchasing. It proved to be palatable, and he ate it with a good relish. Ice cream, only a penny a glass, was the next announcement. The glasses, to be sure, were of very small size. Still, ice cream in any quantity for a penny seemed so ridiculously cheap that Ben, poor as he was, could not resist the temptation. I'll take a glass, he said. A dab of ice cream was deposited in a glass and with a pewter spoon handed to Ben. He raised the spoon to his mouth, but alas, the mixture was not quite so tempting to the taste as to the eye and the pocket. It might be ice cream but there was an indescribable flavor about it, only to be explained on the supposition that the ice had been frozen dishwater. Ben's taste had not been educated up to that point, which would enable him to relish it. He laid it down with an involuntary contortion of the face. Give it to me, Johnny, he heard at his elbow. Turning, he saw a small, dirty-faced boy of six with bare feet and tattered attire, who was gazing with a look of greedy desire at the delicious mixture. Ben handed him the glass and spoon and stood by, looking at him with some curiosity as he disposed of the contents with a look of evident enjoyment. Do you like it? he asked. It's bully, said the young epicure. If Ben had not been restricted by his narrow means, he would have purchased another glass for the urchin. It would have been a very cheap treat, but our young adventurer reflected that he had but 22 cents left and prudence forbade. I don't see how he can like the nasty stuff, he thought. But the time was to come when Ben himself, grown less fastidious, would be able to relish food quite as uninviting. Ben made his way across the park to Broadway again. He felt that it was high time for him to be seeking employment. 
His ideas on this subject were not very well defined, but when he left home, he made up his mind that he would try to get a place in a store on Broadway. He supposed that, among the great number of stores, there would be a chance for him to get into someone. He expected to make enough to live in a comfortable boarding house and buy his clothes, though he supposed that would be about all. He expected to have to economize on spending money the first year, but the second year his wages would be raised, and then it would come easier. All this shows how very verdant and unpractical our young adventurer was, and what disappointment he was preparing for himself. However, Ben's knowledge was to come by experience, and that before long. Reaching Broadway, he walked up slowly on the west side, looking in at the shop windows. In the lower part of this busy street are many wholesale houses, while the upper part is devoted principally to retail shops. Coming to a large warehouse for the sale of ready-made clothing, Ben thought he might as well begin there. In such a large place, there must be a good deal to do. He passed in and looked about him rather doubtfully. The counters, which were numerous, were filled high with ready-made garments. Ben saw no one as small as himself, and that led him to doubt whether his size might not be an objection. Well, Sonny, what do you want? asked a clerk. Don't you want to hire a boy? asked our young adventurer, plunging into his business. I suppose you have had considerable experience in the business, said the clerk, inclined to banter him a little. No, I haven't, said Ben frankly. Indeed, I judge from your looks that you are a man of experience. If you don't want to hire me, I'll go, said Ben independently. Well, young man, I'm afraid you'll have to go. The fact is, we should have to hire you before we could hire you. And the clerk laughed at his witticism. Ben naturally saw nothing to laugh at, but felt rather indignant. He stepped into the street, a little depressed at the result of his first application. But then, as he reflected, there were a great many other stores besides this, and he might have better luck next time. He walked on some distance, however, before trying again. Indeed, he had got above Bleecker Street when his attention was arrested by a paper pasted inside of a shop window, bearing the inscription, Cash Boys Wanted. Ben did not clearly understand what were the duties of a cash boy, though he supposed they must have something to do with receiving money. Looking in through the glass door, he saw boys as small as himself flitting about, and this gave him courage to enter and make an application for a place. He entered, therefore, and walked up boldly to the first clerk he saw. Do you want a cash boy? he asked. Go up to that desk, Johnny, said the clerk, pointing to a desk about midway of the store. A stout gentleman stood behind it, writing something in a large book. Ben went up and repeated his inquiry. Do you want a cash boy? How old are you? asked the gentleman, looking down at him. Ten years old. Have you ever been in a store? No, sir. Do you live in the city? Yes, sir. With your parents? No, sir, said Ben with hesitation. Who do you live with, then? With nobody. I take care of myself. Humph. The gentleman looked a little surprised, not at the idea of a boy of ten looking out for himself, for such cases are common enough in New York, but at the idea of such a well-dressed lad as Ben being in that situation. How long have you been your own man? he inquired. I've only just begun, Ben admitted. Are your parents dead? No, sir, they're alive. Then I advise you to go back to them. We don't receive any boys into our employment who do not live with their parents. The gentleman returned to his writing, and Ben saw that his case was hopeless. His disappointment was greater than before, for he liked the looks of the proprietor, if, as he judged, this was he. Besides, boys were wanted, and his size would be no objection, judging from the appearance of the other boys in the store. So he had been sanguine of success. 
Now he saw that there was an objection which he could not remove, and which would be very likely to stand in his way in other places. Chapter 4. A Restaurant on Fulton Street. Ben kept on his way, looking in at the shop windows as before. He had not yet given up the idea of getting a place in a store, though he began to see that his chances of success were rather small. The next pause he came to was before a bookstore. Here, too, there was posted on the window, Boy Wanted. Ben entered. There were two or three persons behind the counter. The oldest, a man of 40, Ben decided to be the proprietor. He walked up to him and said, Do you want a boy? Yes, said the gentleman. We want a boy to run of errands and deliver papers to customers. How old are you? Ten years old. That is rather young. I'm pretty strong of my age, said Ben, speaking the truth here, for he was rather larger and stouter than most boys of ten. That is not important, as you will not have very heavy parcels to carry. Are you well acquainted with the streets in this part of the city? This question was a poser, Ben thought. He was at first tempted to say yes, but decided to answer truthfully. No, sir, he answered. Do you live in the lower part of the city? Yes, sir. That is, I'm going to live there. How long have you lived in the city? I only arrived this morning, Ben confessed reluctantly. Then I'm afraid you will not answer my purpose. We need a boy who is well acquainted with the city streets. He was another disqualification. Ben left the store a little discouraged. He began to think that it would be harder work making a living than he had supposed. He would apply in two or three more stores, and if unsuccessful, he must sell papers or black boots. Of the two, he preferred selling papers. Blacking boots would soil his hands and his clothes, and as it was possible that he might someday encounter someone from his native village, he did not like to have the report carried home that he had become a New York boot black. He felt that his education and bringing up fitted him for something better than that. However, it was not necessary to decide this question until he had got through applying for a situation in a store. He tried his luck again and once was on the point of being engaged at $3 per week when a question as to his parents revealed the fact that he was without a guardian and this decided the question against him. It's of no use, said Ben despondently. I might as well go back. So he turned and retraced his steps down Broadway. By the time he got to the City Hall Park, he was quite tired. Seeing some vacant seats inside, he went in and sat down, resting his bundle on the seat beside him. He saw quite a number of street boys within the enclosure, most of them boot blacks. As a rule, they bore the marks of their occupation, not only on their clothes, but on their faces and hands as well. Some, who were a little more careful than the rest, were provided with a small square strip of carpeting, on which they kneeled when engaged in shining up a customer's boots. This formed a very good protection for the knees of their pantaloons. Two were even more luxurious, having chairs in which they seated their customers. Where this extra accommodation was supplied, however, a fee of ten cents was demanded, while the boot blacks in general asked but five. Black your boots? asked one boy of Ben, observing that our young adventurer's shoes were soiled. Yes, said Ben, if you'll do it for nothing. I'll black your eye for nothing, said the other. Thank you, said Ben. I won't trouble you. Ben was rather interested in a scene which he witnessed shortly afterwards. A young man, whose appearance indicated that he was from the country, was waylaid by the boys and finally submitted his boots to an operator. How much do you want? Twenty-five cents, was the reply. Twenty-five cents, exclaimed the customer aghast. You're joking, ain't you? Regular price, mister, was the reply. Why, I saw a boy blacking boots down by the museum for ten cents. Maybe you did, but this is the city hall park. We're employed by the city, and we have to charge the regular price. 
I wish I'd got my boots blacked down to the museum, said the victim in a tone of disappointment, producing 25 cents, which was eagerly appropriated by the young extortioner. I say, Tommy, give us a treat or we'll peach, said one of the boys. Tom led the way to the ice cream vendor's establishment, where with reckless extravagance, he ordered a penny ice cream all around for the half dozen boys in his company, even then making a handsome thing out of the extra pay he had obtained from his rustic patron. By this time, it was half past two o'clock, so Ben learned from the city hall clock. He was getting decidedly hungry. There were apple and cake stands just outside the railings on which he could have regaled himself cheaply, but his appetite craved something more solid. There was a faint feeling which nothing but meat could satisfy. Ben had no idea how much a plate of meat would cost at a restaurant. He had but 22 cents, and whatever he got must come within that limit. Still, he hoped that something could be obtained for this sum. Where to go? That was the question. Can you tell me a good place to get some dinner? He asked of a boy standing near him. Down on Nassau Street or Fulton Street was the reply. Where is Fulton Street? asked Ben, catching the last name. I'm going that way. You can go with me if you want to. Ben readily accepted the companionship proffered and was led past the museum, the site of which, as I have said, is now occupied by the Herald Building. Turning down Fulton Street, Ben soon saw a restaurant with bills of fare displayed outside. That's a good place, said his guide. Thank you, said Ben. He scanned the bill in advance, ascertaining to his satisfaction that he could obtain a plate of roast beef for 15 cents and a cup of coffee for five. This would make but 20 cents, leaving him a balance of two cents. He opened the door and entered. There was a long table running through the center of the apartment from the door to the rear. On each side, against the sides of the room, were small tables intended for four persons each. There were but few eating, as the busy time at downtown restaurants usually extends from 12 to half past one or two o'clock, and it was now nearly three. Ben entered and took a seat at one of the side tables, laying his bundle on a chair beside him. A colored waiter came up and stood awaiting his orders. "'Give me a plate of roast beef,' said Ben. "'Yes, sir. Coffee or tea? Coffee.' The waiter went to the lower end of the dining room and called out, Roast beef! After a brief delay, he returned with the article ordered and a cup of coffee. There were two potatoes with the meat and a small piece of bread on the side of the plate. The coffee looked muddy and not particularly inviting. Ben was not accustomed to the ways of restaurants and supposed that, as in shops, immediate payment was expected. Here's the money, 20 cents, he said, producing the sum named. Pay at the desk as you go out, said the waiter. Ben looked up and then, for the first time, noticed a man behind a counter in the front part of the room. At the same time, the waiter produced a green ticket bearing 20 cents printed upon it. Ben now addressed himself with a hearty appetite to the dinner. The plate was dingy and the meat neither very abundant nor very tender. Still, it can hardly be expected that for 15 cents a large plate of sirloin can be furnished. Ben was not in a mood to be critical. At home, he would have turned up his nose at such a repast, but hunger is very well adapted to cure one of fastidiousness. He ate rapidly and felt that he had seldom eaten anything so good. He was sorry there was no more bread, the supply being exceedingly limited. As for the coffee, he was able to drink it, though he did not enjoy it so well. It tasted as if there was not more than a teaspoonful of milk in the infusion, while the flavor of the beverage differed strangely from the coffee he had been accustomed to get at home. It isn't very good, thought Ben, and he could not help wishing he had a cup of the good coffee his mother used to make at home. Have anything more? asked the waiter, coming up to the table. 
Ben looked over the bill of fare, not that he expected to get anything for the two cents that still remained to him, but because he wanted to notice the prices of different articles. His eye rested rather longingly on apple dumplings. He was very fond of this dish, and his appetite was so far from being satisfied that he felt he could have easily disposed of a plate. But the price was ten cents, and of course it was entirely beyond his means. Nothing more, said he, and rose from his seat. He went up to the counter and settled his bill, and went out again into the street. He felt more comfortable than he had done, as one is very apt to feel after a good dinner, and Ben's dinner had been a good one, his appetite making up for any deficiency in the quality. Where should he go now? He was still tired, and he did not care to wander about the streets. Besides, he had no particular place to go. He therefore decided to walk back to the city hall park and sit down on one of the benches. There would be something to see, and he was interested in watching the street boys, whose ranks he felt that he should very soon be compelled to join. His prospects did not look particularly bright, as he was not provided with means sufficient to pay for another meal. But the time had not yet come to trouble himself about that. When he got hungry again, he would probably realize his position a little more keenly. End of section two. Recording by Tori Falder.